Howdy guys and welcome back to so How Did I Get Here with me Sam Lax and this week was a real special moment for me. I got to meet my maker so to speak in the interviewing game because I got to chat to Mark Fennell. For those that don't know, Mark Fennell is an Australian interviewer, journalist, TV radio presenter, author and Rose Dior nominated documentary maker. He's also a very very kind guy with an infectiously bubbly disposition. In November he generously cut me out an hour of his time to chat in a park about his illustrious life and career journey to date, so sorry in advance for the ambience. He's worked with nearly every big Aussie broadcaster you can think of, and he's hosted the nationally syndicated current affairs programme The Feed for SBS Australia since 2013. He was introduced to global audiences in 2019 when his Audible original podcast, It Burns, the scandal plague race to breed the world's hottest chilli, shot up the American Audible charts. At the time of writing, it's received over 6,500 reviews, which is insane engagement. He's reported all around the world, from the 2019 Hong Kong protest to survivors of ISIS torture, and marks one-to-one interviews with celebrities and newsmakers like Al Gore, Tom Cruise, Julian Assange, Matt Damon, etc., 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 have garnered over 30 million online views and three United Nations Media Award nominations. Mark presents the award-winning ABC Australian podcast download this show which is top notch SBS Australia's The Few Who Do and has written two books on all things movies as if all that wasn't enough he's also a creative director of the not-for-profit group Media Diversity Australia was named one of the 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australians and was even dubbed by the Times UK a cheerful Aussie version of Louis Farouk. In short, he's an epic guy and I was bloody lucky to sit down with him for a chat we covered so much in our conversation from Mark's beginnings as an interviewer, just being that approachable looking kid at school, to his creative process, how he prepares for interviews, how he finds balance for day, how he juggles his multitude of jobs with family life, etc, etc, etc. I had an incredible time chatting to him and found it incredibly valuable, so I hope there's something you'll pull away from it too, and if there was, please share the episode with a friend. Thanks so much as always for listening, and I'll catch you in the next step. So howdy guys, welcome back to So How Did I Get Here, I believe this is episode 13 or 12, somewhere around there, but anyway, I'm, I am joined by the movie man, the myth, the legend, the fantastic broadcaster, podcaster, interviewer, and uh, chili eater, shall we say, amateur chili eater, chili survivor, is what chili I'm survivor, moment, yeah. Mark Fennell, and that voice could not be more recognisable across Australia, being an ignorant Brit coming over here and finding out what a ingrained part of society and culture you are is is an honor to sit down with you mate so thank you thank I, you i feel like a monolith ingrained yeah. part of the culture I'm, a monolith you know, for bam off for got yeah. i'm gonna take it it's great thank oh. you it's very nice to be here and can i just say well done for picking the most pic- like it's a very picturesque times I've been interviewed, this is the nicest place i've ever been interviewed well this, this was lovely. yeah my first question on that note sorry in advance listeners for occasional trains planes automobiles and kids but mm. you know as is the way with these outdoor things but where's the weirdest place you've ever done an interview Ooh, okay. Um, You've obviously got your Japan doc. That's pretty out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, Japan was an unusual one. Oh, there is a good example of this. I mean, there's a few ones. I remember there's this movie called Wolf Creek, mm-hmm. uh, which starred a guy named John Jarrett, who mm. played the, this evil 
sort of country character. And um, when they made a sequel to it, we were like, well, let's go interview him somewhere that feels like there's like bushland in the, in the background. But we also didn't want to venture too far from our offices because we were very lazy. Yeah. We found there was this tiny nature strip right next to a train station. Mm-hmm. And I was dumb because I didn't think train station noise and I didn't make that connection Good. but if but through the lens of the camera it looked like we were in bushland so we went to do this interview he was a bit strange to be honest with you but on the aggressive side and uh, then also combine that with the fact that you had to stop every two minutes for a train oh, no. I just remember being like this was a huge mistake and you had no rapport that you could build up with him yeah plus he was a bit on the odd side anyway you've got just, two minutes between each train to build rapport yeah so how about that right <laughs> in wasn't that crazy oh wait <laughs> It's number five, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's exactly that. And I was just like, oh, this is a terrible, terrible decision. There's been, there has been some strange ones, and, I, and I'm actually drawing a total blank right now because I'm terrible at this. Oh, not to worry. We'll revisit that. But mm. on the production note, because obviously I am uh, inspired by the same thing that I think makes you tick, which is what makes other people tick. That's yeah. what interests me. I've just, I'm, I feel that I've got a gift of natural curiosity. I just love finding out what, you know, what's going on. What's that? Or tell me about that weird mm. thing. Like my... Um, dissertation was a documentary on the niche community of model railway societies in, I love in London. That. Yeah, just just niche things like that. And I want to know your process. Like your mate handed you this article that ticked your box about yeah. chilies. You say you create work. You know, you're a workaholic. Yeah. Where did this natural curiosity? I say natural. Was it was it natural uh, or was it was it created in your youth? Where did this I've, first... I've always been a busy kid. Like I, mm. I remember when I was about I was in year four, so I would have been like eleven or twelve, and I desperately wanted to make a film, mm. and I like recruited friends and bought backdrops and things like that. So I've always been kind of like very antsy and very busy. Mm-hmm. In terms of natural curiosity, I think when I was in high school, I realised I was one of those people to whom people would like to come tell their stories to or mm. they'd, they'd come ask about life problems. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at the time, like, this is very strange because I actually don't have any life experience. I have no real wisdom whatsoever, but people come talk to me anyway. Interesting. And I think that was... And, and it sort of led me down a path of like, maybe I should go into psychology, maybe I should be a counsellor. My mum's a, my mum's a counsellor. Uh-huh. So I, I, the, it was less about curiosity about the world, more about curiosity about people. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of changed over time. But I do think if, even when you, I think the heart of journalism is is trying to understand why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. I think anyway, other people might disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Some people mm-hmm. think it's more structural than that. But for me, if I can understand why people are doing what they're doing, I can help, I can tell a story and I can usually, it's usually a of the pathway to the emotions is quite clear. Mm. Um, so... I find navigating human beings a lot easier than I find navigating most things, which makes me sound like I'm really good at, uh, at being a people person. I'm actually quite terrible at it. So I think it's more just I, I have enough of a blank face that people like telling me things. Interesting. <laughs> I think it more speaks to the fact that you're an incredible ear. You listen incredibly well. I think that's what people like to thank have you. a sounding point. Yeah, for sure. I'm for also sure. terrible at taking compliments. I'm just going to be like, thank you. Yeah, yeah like, no, I feel you, mate. I'm in the same, same similar kind of boat. What um, at school was your favourite subject? What did you do? I I invent I picked subjects basically anything that would let me do anything creative. So I did um, I think at the time we had like various different grades of English and I did all of them so that you base because you could do like a major project and that, I would always make I would I would pick any project that would let me make a film as a major project. Oh okay. So I did four unit English I think which they now call extension two English, uh, and I did drama. Um, 
sorry, pardon me. I did drama and I did photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything I did was very, very artsy. And I was very quite lucky because I was at a school that let me drop maths. Because oh, wow. I got to tell you, I'm yeah. so bad at maths. Yeah. So bad. And the moment I dropped it, my life just became massively massively easier yeah and it let me sort of indulge in the things that I like and care about yeah. and uh, to this day I still can't do my taxes because I can't do basic maths but yeah. hey I can do all these other things exactly and that. turns yeah. out you can pay an accountant to do that stuff so that's helpful there you go <laughs> fascinating so your school sounds like it was pretty damn good at fostering creativity or at least what people wanted to do Is it was good at, it was good at, so I went to two schools mm. uh, two high schools one was this very uh, ritzy expensive private school mm. that I only got into because my mum taught there Mm-hmm. And uh, even then, we still ran out of money by the end of year nine, by the mm. time I turned 14, 15. Was this, sorry, I'm sorry to de- run yeah, back. Were you born and raised in Sydney? Yeah, so I yep. was born in, born in Sydney. We lived briefly in Canberra yep. uh, um, when I was very, very small, and it was quite too cold for my mum. Yeah. And we came back here to Sydney. So Sydney's climbs, yeah. Yeah, Sydney's definitely home. It's yeah. my hometown. Mm-hmm. And um, so the I went to a bunch of different schools through the course of that. But in terms of high school, which I guess are the more formative ones, mm-hmm. I went to this, re, you know, very prestigious sort of private boys school. And only because mum taught there. And got when you. mum t- t- taught there, you got this massive discount. And yeah, even then, still ran out of money by the end of year nine. Mm-hmm. Plus, it was a pretty brutal blokey sporting environment and it's, it just wasn't oh, was it all male was it yeah and yeah. it wasn't me at all and it's funny I, I work Michael Hing who presents on the feed mm-hmm. my TV show with me we both went to that school and we both left at the end of year 9 oh, it, was, wow. it was horrendous I ended up going to this tiny community Christian school I, I think I graduated with like 40-50 people and so as to the point about whether or not they fostered creativity it was more the fact that they didn't quite know what to do with me and they got out of the way mm-hmm. and there was a really good it wasn't like a, a performance art school or anything like that. It was literally like, we used to joke, it was a f- quite a religious school. We used to joke that it was putting the fun back into fundamental dogma. Which, oh, wow. uh, but they, the teachers were really c- caring and they were great. And I graduated with very few people. And if you wanted to do something arty or if you wanted to do something creative and you were a self-starter, you kind of just could. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like there was tons of resources there. It wasn't like there was heaps of equipment. There, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. But you kind of, if you could do, it wasn't, it was, the, the upside of it being small was that you could sort of find your own pathway. It wasn't a super regimented environment. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I'm quite grateful because it, it was very relaxed. And they're coming from this big, expensive place where everyone's a number and you only really count if you play a sport, mm. to mm. go to something that was basically quite family-like was actually very, very um, good. I didn't quite realise it at the time, but, you know, it's the thing with high schools. You don't really realise totally. the good, the bad of it until you've got a bit of distance. And you're like, actually, yeah, that was horribly traumatising. Or, oh, actually, that wasn't so bad. So, in retrospect, it was a good move to, to ta- send me to that teeny tiny school. Yeah, interesting. Um, that, that seems like you're, you kind of divulge... Uh, diverge, sorry, from your Louis Ferru English <laughs> counterpart. Yeah, I remember you interviewing him, and he, he was saying that oh, his school yeah. was very much like prison. Like he went to an all-boys school, San Quentin. I listened to a fantastic it, yeah. podcast called Ear Hustle, which is based out of San Quentin. That's so I was right. like, oh my god! But yeah, getting away from that kind of Darwinian uh, all-boy kind of everyone for themselves kind of mentality oh, helped me. Those places are. It's hard, like, I'm all modulate this because obviously you're in a position of privilege to even go to a place like yeah, that. Of course, but, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it was awful. And even now, like, mum continued to teach there even after I left, and she mm-hmm. only left a few years ago. And mum and I used to talk afterwards and just be like, what? Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, of course you can. What yeah. the fuck was that about? Mm. Like, because she was, you know, she found the teaching staff just as brutal as the student staff. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, like, I'm 
chubby brown kid and mum's a tiny Indian lady at this very blokey, you know, sort of... Pervasively white, I assume? Well, actually, that's the interesting thing because it actually wasn't. Oh, like, really? it, it was rich and there was it was a private school sort of um, in the inner west of, of Sydney. So mm-hmm. you've got... That's actually where it gets quite interesting because you actually get a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, Chinese kids, a lot of Indian kids, a lot of Lebanese kids, okay. parents who've probably who've probably come from working class backgrounds, and they work their ass off mm. to send their kids to this school, mm-hmm. thinking that they're going to give their kids a leg up. In fact, all they're giving their kids is a lifelong trauma. Mm. Um, the white kids over. It's interesting though that there was obviously a lot of white kids. White kids. Um, what is surprising, a lot of them ended up in politics. Mm. And I vividly remember being in like year eight or year nine. I had a history teacher who who said to everybody. You know, just so you know, you guys are going to be the leaders of, wow. of tomorrow. I do remember just thinking, you just told 14-year-old boys, objectively, the worst generation of people ever, yeah. that they were born to lead. Yeah. And then fast forward 10 years down the track, I would, you know, occasionally I'd go to, to Parliament House to, to do things and you'd just see them there. there they, they were, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're like living out this prophecy yeah. that they were born to, born to rule. And it's a, it's a very strange thing to see people who, <laughs> who's future was prescribed very early and they just followed it yeah I, f- I, I find it i mean some i'm sure some of them are quite happy and some of them were also actually quite sure. nice people but well are you familiar with the documentary series up yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's, it's that, like it's it? like you, yeah, no, your future is prophesied yeah totally well it speaks to well class mono- structure yeah, yeah class structure but also visualization manifestation and then uh, yeah. when you have such a clear route as you did to be triple j's movie critic <laughs> That you fulfil that. You said uh, on a podcast that that was your only clear goal at high school. And then, lo and behold, much like the politicians of that school, you, yeah. you fulfilled that. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, it's interesting, though, because I don't... I never had... Until this day, only recently have I actually started doing, like, proper career planning. Mm. So, when I... A lot of... A lot of people, you know, tell you, you know, you should plan for what kind of jobs you want. And unfortunately, I I never did that. What Mm. I did was when I got an opportunity, so in this case, it was like community radio. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, what what could I do with it? Like, where do I want to go with this? Mm. And at that point, all I could think of was Triple J. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's what I want. That's the thing I want. I fixated on it and became quite annoying to those around me about how much I wanted it. But um, I have never been very good like if you ask me now what I want to do in four or five years I can sort of like point out some things that I wouldn't mind doing but really what happens what I've found happens is that opportunities present themselves Mm. if they look fruitful you take it and then if they if success comes from that you sort of work really hard to justify whatever luck you've got Mm. and then there's all the other things that like you you push it up a hill and it goes nowhere and you mm. think oh this is the next thing I'm going to do and then it doesn't quite work so mm. Mm. I'm very opportunistic maybe rather than plan well planned no I think that's completely fair enough and especially in the landscape that we work in where media and technology is disrupted so quickly on the dime now you yeah know, you need it's almost impossible my my um program director at uni a fantastic man who had he was a professional opera singer and mm. then he retrained and then he was the head of the department and then he wanted to do a few degrees so he did those and then he came and doing that he said have a one-year plan at very best mm. smash the hell out of that and then reset course depending on what arises yeah. so i think you've got to be fluid as to what comes out i do remember being told when we were quite young that our generation would have at least seven different careers and it's made me it's I just I've held on to it because it's made me quite relaxed about when it's 
when it's clear something's about to change. Mm. So when, you know, I spent pretty much all my 20s as a, as a movie critic and mm. I realised, I think after about six or seven years of that, that there wasn't a lot of other places it could go and also movies were changing mm. and it became really clear as just about the, cre the crest of... The, of um, mm, the DVD segment. The DVD. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first thing I did on the, on the movie show when I was 19 and I did that and then I did Triple J and I think after a couple of years of Triple J, it just became, you, could, you could just sort of see the opportunities to be a film critic... There were very few of them, and I sort of had all those jobs, and there was not going to be an opportunity to take it further. Like, there probably wasn't going to be an opportunity to turn into a TV show. Mm. Podcasting was very nascent at the time. I could have been smarter about taking advantage of that. Mm. Uh, I thought it's 2020. Yeah, well, exactly. But then, you know, sort of uh, journalism became a thing that I could try, and I could sort of come into it through sort of... Uh, movie an adjacent yeah, kind of platform yeah, yeah sort of yeah. movie reviewing became movie interviewing and then eventually it sort of became uh, interviewing all sorts of people and so you sort of I think it's being comfortable with allowing things to change like not being obsessively like I am one brand because mm. that's a dickhead-ish sort of the way to think about yourself mm. you do have to think about particularly if you're in front of a camera or a microphone you do to some extent have to think about yourself as a as a brand, and what I mean by that is you have to think about how you're perceived and where you think you can slot into things, sure. rather than be obsessive like, I'm a brand. Totally. In my mind, there's like there's a difference between the two things I no, described. No, 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 I agree, I agree. And your brand, to me, like, you have, you know, a roster of every celebrity that everyone would ever want to talk to, including very interesting everyday people, right? Mm. And your tone, just cruising through your LinkedIn, you know, as a stalker does. Yes. Uh, I presume you've written it yourself, some of it's in first person, and it's very jovial and light-hearted, you know, it's, it pokes fun at stuff, you know, he's like, oh, so-and-so uh, presented this and was a general mess, you know, like, mm. how do you balance, <laughs> you know, your your incredible list of uh, achievements and, and your your ego? How do you, you don't take yourself well, my too ego seriously. Is, ego is massive, uh, but part of the brand is that I don't take myself too seriously so that's how you manage there we go yeah. uh no i well i it is like ego is a problematic thing because because uh, you can't really operate without it to some extent like totally. you, ha you have to be you have to have some sense your self-esteem in some ways does have to uh, be impacted by the work that you do so also maybe it's better to fl flip that one around the work that you do can only be as good as it is because you have to care about it and what it says about you. Yeah. So ego is a comp like ego is a component of being in in any doing anything in public or anything artistic. It is then a question of like how well do you manage that? Mm. And being somebody that's been in front of a camera since I was a teenager, I can safely say there are times I've managed it well and there are times I've genuinely comprehensively fucked it up mm. like I I was I was um, too sensitive or I was childish or um, I it, was is this in de dealing with other people or yeah, dealing with other people interacting with you kind both, of like both, both, yeah. both and I think I think the, I'm actually now quite forgiving of people who can be dickish in the public eye because part of me understands that um, particularly people that have come up in the public eye quite young they're usually trying still trying to work out uh they're still trying to work out how to manage themselves oh, in that space hugely. like when you like okay so the a way to think about it is like trying to like are you being an asshole or are you being taken advantage of yeah can you tell totally. do you have people around you that can that can tell you that because it's actually very hard to know both of those things at the same time so yeah. so you it's you've I'm, that's not to excuse bad behaviour from anybody 
uh, or myself or Not anybody. All, but you can completely understand how environment forms people, right? Yeah. You know, if you get your Biebers or whatnot, where from the age of 13 where you're not even like got a full personality and then yeah. you're surrounded by yes men or people that tell you you're the tits yeah. and then yeah it's very hard to keep grounded or that sense of reality where you, you can give yourself a check Be yeah like, oh am I am I acting how I should be as a good human being blah 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 totally and I'm not I mean realistically I'm not particularly I'm not particularly famous I'm, I've got a very for me I've got a very comfortable level of, not of fame like I I, enough to like know you go to Coles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You sleep with Coles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but for me, it's like it's really simple because like I've been around a long time and people know who I am. And every once in a while, somebody wants a selfie. But it's really like I'm ve like we're sitting like, in a park. Yeah. It's very normal. Like yeah. and realistically, I'm on the two public broadcasters. It's not like you, you're not going. And I'm not a person that does things like red carpets and stuff like that very mm -hmm. often. That's a whole whole nother thing mm. you know I, I has this been a conscious decision for you no I mean firstly I, <laughs> I don't get invited to that stuff very often mm. um, but it's more just I'll tell you what like the, we, the big TV awards they have the, the Logies which mm. SBS sends us to every year I do remember just thinking <laughs> a couple of years ago yeah I'm a chummy brown male SBS presenter at the Logies I'm the living definition of least most important person here yeah. but just because like you, there's a there's a there's a there's a whole world of fame which is all about that kind of stuff and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't fit into that nor do I really want to but I, I'm respectful of the amount of effort that goes into it I'm not dismissive of it but sure. I don't feel like that's my world and I'm quite fine not being in that world but but crucially like not like not mocking people that that are in that world because it's no, no, it's hard to not. do no, well. No, no, no. Like you say, it's it's just a different world. One of which you're not fussed about being kind of fine. Yeah, yeah. Not not overly. Nice. Um, so on that note, do you ever get starstruck? Have you ever been starstruck? This is a weird thing about doing the job where you you interview people in the public eye. It's not so much uh, starstruck. The thing that makes me nervous mm. is can I get something good and engaging out of that person? Mm with the time allotted. Yeah, so sometimes, so yeah, yeah, sometimes with these... Your junkets and on the feed and yeah. stuff like that. I, I do stuff with uh, Yahoo here and when you do a junket, as you know, mm. it's like a five minute, what the hell am I going to get apart from the generic, yeah, movie's good, yeah, it was enjoyable. What attracted you to the role? Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah, same question I've had 15 times, see you later, but you see it more as a training ground, don't you? Well, I mean, I started off doing junket stuff for, when I worked for Channel 10, uh, for their morning show, The Circle, which mm. was a pre, uh, which predates Studio 10, and I, the reason I did it, because that show came out of Melbourne, and a lot of the famous people only came to Sydney, and I lived here, mm. and they, um, it was an, in, I really hated it for the first couple of months, because it was like, it felt like, it felt like filler, mm. and so when it came to starting the feed, the show on, that I do on SBS, I sort of quite, after a couple of months of doing very much the same thing we were doing before, I said, if we treat something like filler, filler is what it will become. Let's mm. push to shoot it separately. Uh, let's push for more time. And, it, you know, that was a process of convincing movie studios and record labels to, to let us do that. But they could see the dividends because the talent was better. The talent became alive if you ask them genuinely interesting questions. They enjoy it as well. The The social media take up of it was higher as well. Yeah, you've got so many snippets to grab. Yeah, yeah and it just altogether became a, just a much more worthwhile exercise for everybody. Plus, we were quite happy. We want to make it look good. We want to do, you know, nice short depth of field and get their face and all that sort of basic sort of TV stuff. It mm. wasn't nothing terribly groundbreaking, but if you can get a proper close up on somebody as they're talking about something that matters to them, it tells the story in their face, right? You will know this better than almost most people. It's like you want to see 
you want to see that journey that they're going through mm. write itself with their reactions and the interactions and those sort of authentic moments that you can create. Mm. And I think um, when we started doing that, it became clear that the 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 challenge was how many authentic moments can you moments that you could identify that feels real how many moments like that could you pack into the far, the 15 minutes that you were allotted mm. that's the thing that makes me nervous so the starstruck stuff not so much mm. it's more just can i make something that feels unique like can i make something that feels like you couldn't have got it from any other show yeah and sometimes it doesn't work by the way like i think you know we, i obviously edit out a lot of garbage but you know there are times you're just like fuck something about that didn't work and there are times where you just keep going until you get what you need and um, and it, ultimately everyone wins because if they're having a good time and feel like they're being surprised and they're getting something refreshing, if I'm getting something new, that means the piece is going to get more take up, which is ultimately better for the thing that they're there to promote, I think anyway. So no, totally. Yeah. I agree. I think it speaks to something I remember you saying, like people aren't puppets, right? Yeah. yeah. They're there for a reason to look smart, to promote something, whatever it may be. You're there in your best effort you there's perhaps something you want but it's not an extraction that's what really grinds my gears about those kind of interviews it feels like such a transactional kind of thing sometimes yeah. like you just like the PRs like leaning over your shoulder and stuff when actually you want to have that genuine moment of just humans sharing a little story you know yeah. a quick yarn I'm, I'm also very sympathetic to the the challenge that people in the PR business logistically, have logistically yeah exactly yeah, it, logistically it is a those things, in and of itself yeah, yeah logistically right, yeah. those things are a nightmare but uh, and I will say the PR community for when I do celebrity stuff mm. whether it's uh, movie studios or record labels I think as the show has matured and as people have seen what we've done they're, they're much more relaxed about yeah letting us do our thing and letting us because I think they maybe trust that we are we've got such a huge body of work they can we're not going to fuck people over like, yeah, you know we exactly really don't that. we certainly yeah. don't intend to totally. um, anyway so I think there's yeah I think there's sometimes there's a um, there's an antagonistic relationship between people in my chair and people in the PR business and I just don't particularly like when we're talking about celebrity profile interviews mm. we're not talking about um, you know politicians or people that have to be genuinely held to account mm. I don't think there's much to be gained from an antagonistic relationship mm. um, it's different when we're talking about like proper accountability interviews with you know dodgy doctors and and politicians who are you know assholes yeah. that's different I'm quite happy to be I'm quite happy to be uh, more aggressive in that context but it's about sort of picking your picking your mode of operation yeah it makes sense and on this note I have the rare and incredible opportunity to ask uh, some advice from an amazing interviewer <laughs> oh, so how geez. do you prepare for an interview going into it i've got some crude and rude mind map where i oh, mapped yeah. out little sections like oh, childhood sbs abd oh, abc yeah. stuff like that what do you do approaching a, a big interview uh okay so if it's somebody who's been around is it sort of it varies depending on um it varies depending on who they are but mm -hmm. if there's somebody that's been around a long time usually there's a um what I like to look for is old radio interviews. Yeah, where they've just dialed it in, they're a bit off, like, well, just something that will catch them off guard. It's it's partially that, but what I like about them is that usually they t um, old radio interviews, usually public radio interviews in the US are quite good for this, because they're not, they're always kept online, but they're never transcribed. Oh. So a lot of the takeaways from them end up not ending, n end up not working their way onto the Wikipedia page. Interesting. So I'll listen to those things, and what I'm listening for is, like, a story that, 
you know, surprising, something that tells you something about who they are, how they got to what they are doing, and also just you're looking for what they didn't say. Mm. The example I always come back to is there's a very famous children's author. Paul Jennings. Yeah, yeah and, and he, yeah. I think casually they, he mentioned in an old interview that his dad didn't love him, yeah. and there was no real follow-up to that. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. What the, what? Why did no one ask why? So Screaming at yeah, your Yeah, yeah. Your and so laptop. that one, and that one became a very big one for us because I think it, I think it tacked, it, it, firstly, he was very generous, and I think we, we worked very hard to create a safe space mm. for him. But I also think uh, it was a, it was an act. It was nostalgia for a lot of millennials. Mm, um, mm. He meant a lot to a lot of young sort of young uh, younger people in Australia because of his books and his TV oh, shows. Totally, yeah. When you so, see someone that you admire from their creative work or otherwise opening up and being that raw, it kind of gives you a newfound appreciation for them as well. Yeah, definitely. So I do um, I do that, and what I do is I, I have open up Apple Notes and I'll sort of write down. They're not even really fully formed questions half the time. They're like, this idea, that idea. Um, sometimes I will write questions down. And the crucial thing is... These things that have just bubbled... As I'm reading, as I'm reading, as I'm writing, like, I write, like, find a way to get into that, find a way to get into that. Mm-hmm. Usually it's not terribly structured. But what I do is I, about 20 minutes... 15, 20 minutes before they walk into the room. This is what I should have done. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no. To previous self, go no, on. No, no, no. 20 minutes before they walk in the room, I actually take... That my phone in one hand and yeah. a little notepad in the other, and I rewrite everything out. And I don't really put it in order. I sort of point it out in in different like different page, I like see, over yeah. a two page spread. I'll, I'll put down that point, that point, that point, that point. If there's very specific questions, I'll write it out word for word. Uh-huh. But the crucial thing is, it's completely illegible. Yeah, I can't actually read it. Sure. And the purpose of it is not to read it back when I'm doing the interview. The purpose of it is in the act of writing it out. Like revision. It crystallizes it in my brain. And realistically, I never look down again. Like, mm. never, never look down. You'll never see me look down again for something like that. It's mm. about knowing what are the points I want to hit, what are the, what are the non-negotiable bits I want to hit. And then, in the context of that conversation, you can be flexible. You mm-hmm. can go wherever. Also, because these things aren't live, mm-hmm. you re-edit them. You reshape. I often reshape the the flow of a conversation pretty drastically to, to build, make sure the arc is clear for the listener, for the viewer. Yeah. Um, and you'll often hear, the way I get away with that is, is um, I'll often break a question down into parts. So, you know, there is this story that I heard you do about this, beat, what was going through your head when that happened? And then they'll tell that story. If it looks like they're sort of bored of telling that story, we'll go somewhere else, we'll go somewhere else. Maybe two, three questions later I'll ask, actually, I just had a thought about something you said earlier beat why did you do that and the reason i put the beat in there is so that i can move that answer back so that it sits against that other story and so there's a clear arc and we're not you're not taking the audience down out the garden path it's about me sort of rearranging the story so that there is clarity of thought and i think that's you know it's different when i do live radio obviously i treat it very differently and you've got to build that arc live but mm. sometimes you get a better response from people if you revisit a question yeah or... revisit a question because sometimes they you know they're talking about a thing and they'll feel like they're basically being interrogated by one topic yeah, yeah. if you just keep going yeah. hard for 15 minutes on one topic yeah. whereas if you break it up a little bit and you bounce back you talk about something else and you bounce back then you have the opportunity to sort of unspool that conversation and then restack it out in a way that makes the most sense to the listener mm. and they don't have to see you doing the work to get that idea out mm. uh it takes some of the it takes some of the hard work out of it for the listener so it basically it's it's 
it's in some ways it's a bit self-effacing because you're not showing the listener how much or the, the viewer how much hard work you had to do to get that thing you're just making it seem a lot simpler sure but for me it's more about i know there's good stuff there I know that it's going to take a bit of work to get out. There's no real reason to force the viewer to watch that extraction process. Well, extraction is a bad term, but yeah. there's, there's no... I know what you mean, the yeah. warm-up, almost. Yeah, there's no reason to force them to, to watch that, that process when we can just get to the thing that yeah, you to know... Yeah, the, the sandwich. Yeah, yeah and yeah, so yeah. I, the, that's the other reason why I tend to edit my stuff because I, I don't really want to have to put some poor editor through the pain of watching me draw something out of... Sure. somebody like I just it doesn't it's, mm. I hate forcing other people to watch my bullshit mm. when I can just do it myself and they don't have to re- mm. <laughs> they don't have to they don't have to watch my don't want to my, find your secret source well there isn't that, I mean there's nothing I mean, <laughs> already people, familiar yeah, with I mean well. I'm quite happy to talk about because it, it doesn't I don't actually think it gets talked about that much mm. like I think you know, people talk people talk at length at journalism conferences about interviewing of an accountability kind sure yeah that's very much black and white and that's important and i think it's and that's a very that's a totally different kind of interviewing that is about that's about workshopping and precision and flexibility and knowing the goals of what you want it's 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 a totally different mindset etc etc yeah exactly whereas this is about how do you create an environment where people feel most comfortable Mm. to show who they really are and actually sometimes that takes time Sometimes, yeah, you know, body language comes into it a lot. Like you mm. literally see me, sh- you know, if somebody's going to be mirroring a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bit yeah. of mirroring. But it's also like if they go big, you go big to match them. If they go small, you, I, you, I literally crunch up into a ball to be the smallest possible version of myself in front of them. Mm. And then you have to trust that your camera team are going to capture and 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 punch in and let their smallness fill up. So if they're being very subtle with their moves, you need to punch right in and cap- capture every detail. Mm. Um, sometimes there's a... Whoop, losing my coffee. Sometimes there's a tendency in television, like if somebody's being low energy... Yeah. Oh, fuck, just just cut it tight, cut it tight. No, 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 no. If somebody's being... Something. Somebody's being low energy, you punch in on their face and you get really close. And that way, those subtleties become the whole story. And mm. then you make sure you meld, you know... The way I ask a question becomes softer. The music that if we're using music in it, that has to like lean in to where they are at, right? And yeah, yeah. Look, ultimately you do end up like you know cutting it down, but you want to keep you sort of using the elements to like lean into what they actually are, mm. rather than editing them so tight to force them to be what you sort of imagine they should be. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that television lets you do that. It lets you use all the tools to sort of bring you into the moment, mm. bring you into the room as much as possible. And you don't, you want to keep the energy in the room. This is another one of the reasons like when I'm doing, when I'm running like a one-on-one interview, I will never ever break it up with voiceover. If it's a full documentary, you, I do. But once you're in the conversation, that's the conversation. There's no like stepping out with a bit of overlay and being like, it was in 1945 that so-and-so did this thing. No, that all has to be in the, in all the energy has to be in the room mm. and anything that takes you out, I regard as kind of, for me, I regard it as kind of failure, but that's my, these are all my completely arbitrary rules about how I do what I'm No, no, no. Well, I mean, the very fact that your latest podcast has been uh, nominated by a ro- for a Rose Dior, huge congratulations on that, speaks to your knowing how to edit well. So I will take due notes on that, mate. <laughs> Thank sure. you. I mean, I, I will say, like, um, it's very surprising. Like, I didn't, I've always known the Rose Dior as a television award. So this yeah, is the yeah, first. Yeah, I was, I was having a quick look. Graham Norton's show, Gogglebox, yeah. The Crown. You yeah. could join these people. John Cleese, pretty y- sick. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite strange because so they've introduced an audio category this year, and it burns was um, 
is, is nominated. I'm going to lose the BBC, I'm quite sure, because they've got like three different things nominated. Oh, It's like, right. there's three, I think there's three BBC shows, my show and something from RTE. So I'm quite, I'm quite confident I'm going to lose. Oh. That's okay. I'm just happy to be like, be able to slather like Rose Door nominated. I was going to say, stuff. yeah, said incredibly modestly. That's an incredible title to hold. So bloody well done on that. And on that note, so you have... What, well, you've got a billion pod, uh, plates in the air. You've got free podcasts, correct me if I'm wrong? The few yeah, who yeah. Do so if you download the show. Yeah, so download the show is a little chat show I do for the ABC about media technology. That's just every week. Yeah, um, yeah. A few who do, we did 16 episodes of. Uh, Starting this year, wasn't it? Yeah, with and Jan we're, with Jan Fran. Yeah. We're just waiting to see if we do more in 2020. We're not sure about that just yet. Mm. Uh, it Burns obviously came out this year. I'm now working on a new series for Audible in the US that'll come out next year that I'm probably like. It's, I think they're very secretive about it, but um, sure. it involves a, a $10 million heist. Ooh. So I was in the US for a couple of weeks uh, picking up audio for that. Wow. And I think, I think that's it at the moment. I think, I think and that, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. So where did this kind of multitasking, because obviously when you're doing your film critic stuff, when you're doing packages, mm. Like, what the hell did a typical week look like for you? Take me back oh, to, so okay. you were at FBI, that, that was like, what, 2003-ish? Because that was newly yeah. formed then, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? FBI and then 2004 two- five, you started their podcasting game. You had 11 different ones or something under your, under yeah. your belt. Yeah, God, like, that's going uh, right back, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite funny because you manage your time? Well, a lot of it was like a lot of it was like just helping volunteers because it, it was a volunteer position for me too. Sure. And they and a lot of people, it was very early on. I mean, think about it. It was like 2004, 2005 when... Yeah, yeah when we just wanted to look into doing podcasting at FBI mm. and really podcasting was very very early yeah. and I think uh, I think in time we decide I think I did that for sort of set them up with that and then they went off and did much better and more interesting things after I left so I started at Triple J at 2000 so I went from FBI to Triple J in 2006 mm-hmm. sort of there was a bit of overlap between mm-hmm. two and I kind of I did I did podcasting for them too so I used to cut up their shows to go down on podcasting. So in a way, podcasting's been in my life for, God, for 13, 14 years. Yeah. But it's only, but I'd never really done anything that was like long form storytelling podcasting. Okay. And, to, and I had been wanting to do that for a while because I'd obviously seen the success of S-Town and Serial yeah, and I'd course, been making yeah. sort of TV documentaries and I was like, and it feels like if you can find the right story. And with It Burns, like, I had started emailing these people that were involved in it I just didn't quite know what to do with the story it was too big for a feed story and then Audible just came around and went hey do you want to make a long form podcast I'm like mm-hmm. well there's this thing and they were awesome like they just I've never experienced having worked in TV and radio mm-hmm. for a long time I've never experienced such a fast process of them being like yeah we're just going to do this and wow. I was like okay cool and before I knew it I was overseas recording this stuff with people all around the world it was very unusual i've never experienced it before or since how so, good yeah yeah it was quite it was really quite surprising how that all played out yeah totally so many nerdy questions on the production front from like how did that play out so your workflow for finding work now like obviously you are a household name you're established do does that how it works does audible uh, come to you and then uh, they're like oh look we've got this pot of money have you got any ideas and you go oh actually I, i've yeah, got this i don't cooking. actually know how they came in. i actually don't know how they they tracked me down to get in contact in the first place to be honest with you because i'm not i don't i don't i think i you have I a meticulously kept linkedin i do yeah i like to keep all that stuff pretty up to date yeah. but but i'm not i don't think my level of notoriety is of a level where like i, I don't think 
I think because of Triple J, a lot of people knew my name. I don't know that anybody associated me with this kind of storytelling. Mm. And mm. maybe they still don't, because really, It Burns was much bigger in the US than it was in Australia, mm. as far as I can tell. Mm. I think what I do now is I'm just very... Um, I just come up with a lot of ideas. Mm. And I, I will go through a phase where, like, for about three months of the year, I will just come up with ideas for things. Wow. What's and your process of ideation? How do you do that? Because uh, you've usually you've comes down in conversation. writing and whatnot. Usually comes down in conversation. Okay. So usually I'm talking to somebody and I will go, and it'll, like, you'll be talking about something and I'll be like, that's actually a really good idea, and I'll write it down. And then I'll have a bit of a think about where it belongs. Like, is it a TV show? Is it a podcast? Mm. Uh, is it a book? Um, and so and now, I, how do you decide on those what, what medium well, like is this a because the chilli thing could arguably be very, very visual right why it, did you that's choose how, to go down the audio I, route but because it started audible. as something visual so and I was like I wrote it down as something visual and then this is what I mean about like an opportunity presented itself exactly, I'm like fine. can I adapt it for this and oh, yeah. it turns out we could yeah. Um, and yeah like I, I, I still think it would have been a great visual thing to do I think like I'm at this unusual moment now there's like two or three ideas that I'm working on that I don't know whether they will make more make more sense as an audio series or a TV series. Mm. Uh, audio series seems to be easier to get up mm-hmm. as a general rule. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Production standpoint, it's a lot easier to get an MVP out there, right? You just need your recorder yeah. and time with that person or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And so a I think good skill of Pro Tools, which you have got locked down since day one. <laughs> well, I will say that it burns. I didn't do any of the the editing or mixing. Oh, which you know, was quite, it was quite it no. It was quite strange because it's literally the first thing I've ever done in audio where I didn't because. Everything I feel very strange. Yeah, it's very very strange. I'm so used to being able to sit in front of the waveform and make teeny tiny changes. Did you have to sit on your hands a bit and kind of just what? bite your tongue. What? Like, oh, it oh, really? Like, it's like when you get a haircut. And you're, Do you like it, sir? And you're, you're, yes. Yes, like, of course. Well, it's even weirder than that because all that was happening in London. So oh, wow. I'm here. It's brave the, new world. The isn't story it? was happening in the US, yeah. and the production was ha- uh, mixing and editing was all happening in London. And I, you know, I found it very frustrating. But at the same time, when an edit would come through. You really did have to listen to it like a listener, mm. which has its advantages. Mm. So I wouldn't do it again completely that way. And, and working on the second series, we've got a, a slightly different methodology around it. Um, but I think it was a good exercise in me not being such a control freak. Yeah. And, and actually, it would have killed me to do something that of that scale by myself in amongst everything else. So yeah, of having learning to delegate a bit better is probably for the best for me sure sure. Um, but also like knowing intimately the, the the audio language we're working with and knowing the capabilities of Pro Tools mm, mm. It means that I can have a more informed conversation with whoever's doing that mixing which I think is worthwhile makes sense well I suppose as well once you start delegating that then that frees you up to do arguably like the 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 I don't know the bread and butter of it which is the ideation coming up with that interesting story yeah. Yeah. is first and foremost and then obviously crafting whatever it may be video or audio around that to enhance the story is another thing I find I still do um, so there's a podcast series that I'm, I'm working on at the moment uh, well I'm trying I'm trying to get work out where it most belongs at the moment mm-hmm. and I, I did think I just I found it very Sorry about this sound design while we're talking. Yeah, it's very, it's very authentic sound design. <laughs> the Foley work on this has been really nice. <laughs> it's incredible. Keep it up, Steve. Doing a great job. It's really, really strong. Very creative. I did, like this is podcast series that I was sort of wanted to pitch, and I, I realised that I'd written this two and a bit page sort of document, and I thought it wasn't totally clear what the sound of it was, so I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go off and make a four minute 
a four minute reel oh, and, wow. and I just sort of went off and made something and and I suddenly realized how it, the act of mixing something and voicing something and editing it made it incredibly clear to me what I wanted the whole thing to sound like. Mm. So actually sitting down there and pulling together the bits helped in that process of clarifying how I went about talking about it with commissioners. Mm. It takes some of the guesswork out of it and I also think it helps me find my way through something. Through, like I'm sort of a learn by doing, learn by talking sort of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it yep. made it e easier for me to navigate if I knew, if I could just do it, if I could just go off and make something that... Yeah. That acted as a placeholder. I see. Yeah, yeah, I see. So, the ideation, you have conversations, and you're very fortunate to rub shoulders with lots of very interesting people. Whether it be through download this mm. show or with Jan Fran uh, doing that series, like, so you capture those ideas on paper or in notes or whatever. Then you might do kind of a, a rough kind of knock together, and then <clears throat> you go see the money men and women. What do you do next? Um, I. It depends. Like I. T I I, d I tend not to hit up people that I don't know mm -hmm. because it seems like I don't. I hate being a cold calling sort of person. Sure. Um, so you know, it's a, I spend a bit. Of, I'm getting better about spending time getting to know people beforehand. Yeah. Like, if you know, if a big company is, is wanting to invest in more video, or if a big company is wanting to invest in more uh, audio, I try and go catch up with them for a coffee first and go, what do you actually want? Because I don't want to be that dickhead that comes and pitches you a bunch of ideas that aren't what you really want yeah so I try and do that first and then I decide which of the catalog of ideas that I've been working on I can contort to fit their needs okay fine um, yeah. I try and do it that way and often you know often it just doesn't work yeah. and it's about getting comfortable with like okay so this idea didn't work for that but now I know why it didn't work maybe it makes more sense here as a book or maybe it makes more sense here as a podcast or maybe it's just not a very good idea and you should leave it alone mm. and just like Having a bunch of ideas and also having a bunch of, ex of jobs, mm -hmm. so you don't feel like you're just pushing shit up a hill. Mm. Having a bunch of things you're working on, I think, lets you take the, the self-esteem out of it because you don't, like, constant knockbacks is bad for you as a human being. Yeah. But it, it lets you, it takes some of the edge off. Mm -hmm. You go, okay, that didn't quite work. It would have been nice if they said, yes, let's just go off and make it. That's fine. Tweak it, change it. Maybe it works better for this person, you know, sure. or tweak it. You know, that doesn't work. Tweak it, change it. Maybe it works better for this person. And then you, you try the best opportunities you can. And then if something doesn't work, you just leave it. You leave it alone. And I've had things where, like, I came up with an idea for a, uh, a book series a million years ago, and mm. it just, you know, we just sort of looked at it and went, uh, I was talking. I had a Is this a, continuation of the two you've already written, or something yeah, completely it was, different. It was actually, it was actually before them. So it was an, the yeah. initial idea, and. It, it was just a bit too complicated for, mm. to, for them to buy into as a book. But years later, we turned it into like a web series for somebody. Oh. And so I think it's okay just to have this like continual process of coming up with new things. And I think it's important not to be paralyzed when something doesn't, something doesn't work or something doesn't go. It just, it didn't go anywhere. It's right. It's there. Mm. It just hasn't found its home yet. Mm. And that's how I think about it. So you just, just keep coming up with things, keep trying things, learn what people with money actually want and mm. actually need, learn how to be a solution to somebody's problem mm. and, and just keep making things. And, and, and it just, I think what, what gets hard is like, if you get a few too many knockbacks, you just, it, there's a potential to just go, ah, oh, well, this is all shit and I give up. 
which is fine. It's a totally normal reaction. But just don't stay in that space for too long, mm. I think. Mm. It's really easy to stay in that space for, for a long time. Mm. The easiest way out is just come up with something new. Mm. Come up with something new. And be comfortable with the fact that it'll probably go in waves. Mm -hmm. So I go through a few waves of like lots and lots and lots of ideas. And there's nothing. There is nothing for months. And mm. that's also okay. And the reason I'm okay with it is because I have four or five jobs. And I, and, and I need to be busy. And um, I need to be thinking about the next thing. So if you constantly got an array of things to kind of experiment with, mm. you don't have enough time to wallow on that which is not working. So I'm basically, yeah. I, I, that's, I that's the, Spread the, your eggs. Yeah, it's also just the root of my workaholism. Like it's, it's like if I can come up with enough stuff, mm. some, some of my shit will stick to someone's wall. Yeah, nice. It's going to be the name of my memoir. Would you like uh, my shit adorning your wall, sir? Why, yes. Yes, I would. Fantastic. Very Brilliant. good. So Very good. <laughs> so on that note of workaholism and ideation and having many jobs on at once, what the hell does a typical day, let alone week, look like for you? Uh, you know, oh, you've God. Me it, in. Yeah. This has been about three weeks in the production, pinning you down for, for an hour slot. Yeah. So you're all over town. You were over to America, then down to Melbourne for... Uh, podcast festival then back and all That's around right, so yeah, yeah. what does it do you it, it's very how variable far in advance do you know your week uh no pretty pretty far in advance yeah. uh, it's very variable um i've also got two with two kids and my wife has her own career as well which yeah of course we're sort of navigating around that and it's not just all about me totally yeah um, something incredibly hard to do when you're time poor and you've got so many pulls yeah. on that time um, so there are a few consistent things like downloads pretty consistent I'll do that on a Thursday mm -hmm. I'll generally host the feed on a Wednesday beyond that like if there's shoots that I have to do for the feed they'll happen out around that mm -hmm. if there's publicity events I have to do for either Audible or uh, the feed they'll fit around that um, there's obviously been a lot of work on the new Audible series so I'm sort of doing that a lot of that's happening at night because I've got to kind of um, I've got to align with, with the states. Yeah, with the US and, and the mostly mostly London the actually, which is a lot easier than working with East Coast US, just because um, my the core producer I'm working with Emma, she's based out of Warwick in the in the UK. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm most like sh that's her timeline and my timeline sort of need to align a little bit, mm. uh, and I've gotten quite used to, to to that. If I'm also doing a you know, and the whole thing gets thrown out completely if I have to go do shoot something for Dateline, which mm. is. Um, so I've done two documentaries in Hong Kong this year for Dateline. Yeah, totally. So that that just takes you completely out of the equation. Um, so it's it's extremely variable. And how far in advance out of interest were you told about the Hong Kong one? Ah, uh, that one happened within. <laughs> that was about. I mean, the first one we were planned for weeks out because it was like the first thing in the year. I went in January. Yeah. Um, and the feed wasn't really back properly. Um, the second one when we were covering the protests. Really, I mean, I think we had a week and a half's notice. Wow, yeah. Um, which was good, you know, it was good to be agile and to be able to get there and cover that story. Yeah, of course. And, and how does the production of something that look? You find a fixer and then, was it It was you and a cameraman that went out? Well, we, they, I mean... Did you have a cameraman already out there? Or? Well, actually, I, Will Reid, he's, really, um, he's really the producer and, and, and he's, he's, he's multi-skilled, so he's a producer yeah. and, he's the, um, and he's the cameraman. But he's, you know, he's really... Like he was doing, he was the heavy architect on that one. Like he, I, I don't want to take credit for something because mm, he mm. was really working on that one while I was busy tying up loose threads of the feed and other things like that. And sure. so really we, we had a few meetings, like he was doing the on-ground work to get that talent to agree. Mm -hmm. We did have a fixer uh, who we worked with, who was, she was working there with that sort of week and a half's notice. 
so they were doing the heavy lifting and then when we hit ground mm. Will and I are sort of in it together mm -hmm. and you know the great thing about Will and I is because we did both Hong Kong films is that, and he'd worked on the feed many years ago mm. it's like I know I trust him implicitly he's got the story in his head but he also trusts that if I've got an idea for something visual like I can help feed in mm -hmm. and um, we have a there's a, there's a lot it's of a trust. symbiotic relationship yeah right? and you I That's think so important when you've only got seven six or seven days to make a film you have to be that way like yeah. I think and you're constantly checking in about you know do we have that element do we not have that element and he's just he's just got one of these incredible brains where he's holding all these threads in his head mm. and and he knows that like he, he knows that I'm sort of there with, with a bunch of ideas and, and it, we've, we have a very open sort of conversations like I'm going to chuck you a bunch of ideas visual things uh, in, interview things tell me what works tell me what doesn't and we just go from there and he's like you know he'll pipe up midway through an interview and say hey can you do this and that's part of the process it's all about it's all about creating this environment where you where you're in it together there's only really two of you making this thing and he's brilliant and got it all in his head and so you have to like you can't do this job without trust mm. like because you actually can't do everything yourself nor should you no and really i think whether it's trusting the the it burns team in london or trusting will to be thinking about things that i'm not thinking about you have to do that because i think you i've done a lot of working by myself for a long time and i, and I like it but ultimately when you're doing things that are half an hour long or two and a half hours long you, 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 nobody should be holding all those no. ideas in their head no, nobody no. Um, but it's also the joy of sharing something right yes like, yeah I, I found this debate I I travelled on uh, what's traditionally known as a gap year in mm. England you know and I did that on my own largely and it, I had a fantastic time very formative period in my life blah 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 but then you lack that oh wasn't that oh, something no to talk was, about it yeah, with yeah exactly so it's ha having that shared experience and on that note for yourself or whether it be either emotional support or mm. you know you're getting <clears throat> tear gas and stuff like that there but did you have mentors like throughout and do you still have mentors what role it's do they play it's funny like the only there's been a quite a few but I, there's never been that structured like the big one i suppose um i worked for andrew denton for three years he um oh, wow. and and he ran hungry beast which was a show that i did and i think honestly i think we he's very good about like we'd have long conversations and uh he's brilliant him and john casimir actually who also who's sort of the um one of the core people at the Bruders, that company that i made that uh, that i worked at mm. they are both brilliant people but i don't think either of us would say that was a clear-cut mentor mentee relationship i sure. think I learned an enormous amount from him. I think I also annoyed the shit out of him at the time as yeah. well. But, and, and, you know, now when I see Andrew, like, it's very clear that I have learnt and absorbed an enormous amount from him. And, mm. and stylistically, a lot of what I do is very similar to what Andrew would have done. But um, it was never, we never had big in-depth conversations about how to interview or anything. Like, it was never that. Because that's mm. what, not what I was doing when I did that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we did talk a lot about... Um, the world and how to tell stories and uh, I was a very sort of anxious ambitious sort of 23 24 year old when I worked for him and mm. so I started, I guess this is my roundabout way of saying I think I learned a lot more through osmosis than through a structured mentor mentee oh relationship. totally well it's all down to how you define mentor right I think the archetypal image in our head is like you know oh sensei oh, yeah, you're not yeah. ready yet grasshopper but you know in especially today's day and age it's the it's these kind of conversations yeah. and it's the 
oh, you're in the edit together and he said, oh, I've got to try that. You know, it's that's the kind of learning, I suppose. Yeah, isn't it? and I will say, like, actually, one of the things I've most I've been very lucky with is I've had a lot of like peer mentors, people mm. who are mm. sort of around about my age who. I do something very different to them, they do something very different to me, but when we work together we learn a lot from each other. And mm-hmm. Will, actually, from uh, the Dateline team is one of those. Uh, um, and there's a wonderful uh, cinematographer that I've worked with for many, many years by the mm-hmm. name of Dave May. He shot mm, a lot of my bigger stuff for the feed. And we just constantly learn stuff from each other. Like okay. he, he taught me so much about visual storytelling and, I learned, and he learned a lot about interviewing and, and sort of producing and structuring and editing because I was doing the editing at the time. Mm. So I actually, I probably acquired more through sort of that peer structure. Yeah. A lovely, you know, boss I used to have who was the guy that ran the feed uh, when it began, Nick Hayden and Lanika Hargraves, they sort of ran that show at the beginning learnt so much from them and, and you know they were all basically the same age mm. um, and I think maybe it extends from the fact that a lot of the things I've worked on were ostensibly youth projects which means there weren't a lot of older people around to learn from so you'd sort of have to learn from others and who people who just had different just different learning experiences mm. and mm. I think that in some ways has been more valuable than um, than some of the more sort of obvious older person, younger person dynamic? Oh, 100%. I'm a firm believer in raise yourself by raising your peer group. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with, that kind of vibe. Yeah. If you're all in this melting pot, as if it's multidisciplinary, you've got people with certain skills in, you know, like you say, in interviewing area, and then you've got an incredible graphic design team, that kind of thing. It's that yeah. lovely melting pot that r- rises all uh, boats kind of thing. And I think I've become a bit more intentional about making sure that younger people that work on our show mm. that I'm investing back in them because mm. it's in this unusual because you know obviously a lot of young people come to work on the feed and sure. I have realized now that I'm e- I'm not an EP of it I'm not uh, I'm not an executive within it but, but you are but you you wiser elders right? yeah you will one of the more senior people and I make it a point if I see people that I think are a talented just try and invest back in them and in, mm. you know even if Pay it's it forward almost yeah like make sure if there's an opportunity that comes up make sure you know make sure that you're telling other people about them mm. and sometimes it means they end up leaving because they've gone to do other things mm. Mm. but i think it's i'm the recipient of a few people taking a pretty big risk you know i think about when i was hired on the movie show i was mm. 18 years old yeah because was that a nationwide call out that you it, were? Yeah, yeah it was and i don't think they knew how old i was they just sort of hired me wow kind of like almost famous yeah yeah very much so and they just sort of hired me and i'm like oh by the way i'm 19 and they're like what, sorry, what? excuse what? me yeah You're not 65 no yeah. no <laughs> and so i was the recipient of somebody taking a risk on me mm. i think it it is important that i make sure that i'm whatever Reciprocate almost. Yeah, you've yeah. just got to... Yeah, pay it forward is, is the term, isn't it? It's like, yeah. just make sure that, that you're creating opportunities for people around you because ultimately it's a really small industry. Mm, mm. And uh, everyone... Like, it's a much smaller industry than anyone gives it credit for. And we're not a very big country. Mm. So, in, in terms of population, mm, we're really... And, mm. and it's, I don't think you can afford to be an arsehole for too long. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got to take care of people around you because it does come... It, it shouldn't be the, the fact that it comes around shouldn't be the only reason you are no. not an asshole. Well, but I mean that's why gossip was kind of evolved, isn't it? Yeah. So you can keep an eye and keep people in check. If yeah. you know that Dave over there is being a dickhead, then he's eventually going to get socially excluded until he becomes a bit more well-rounded. That kind of vibe. Yeah, and so I think it's important to like invest in people around you and um, and 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 create 
and you know I'm, I'm not saying I've always done it well I certainly haven't but mm. I, I think the older I get the more important I think it is to make sure that um, when people move on from their experience working with you they regard it as something they got something from that was mm. worthwhile for them not just they got paid because yeah. I, I actually don't think that's enough for yeah. our generation I don't think that's enough yeah. for, honestly it shouldn't be enough for anyone's generation it shouldn't just be about getting paid it should be about totally. doing something that feeds something into you totally well and notoriously as well media industry is the opposite anyway it's not getting paid so. yeah well there's that <laughs> I, did, I did work for free for many years <laughs> yeah 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 exactly for the passion and the exposure oh yeah exposure very lucrative exposure love exposure mm. I can expose myself for free but I'll do it here for yeah. free as well fine and that's why we're in the park isn't it <laughs> <laughs> exactly that yeah yeah this, that's the grand finale Mark. Yeah. working to it so what is on the horizon then so you're I remember you're saying something like you're looking for new and interesting ways to tell stories and yeah. with now you've got fingers in every medium almost mm. so you've got your visual then your audio are you looking at a melding of the two or something no, that no, kind I, of like I, I've thought about melding them and I actually don't think I think it actually defeats the purpose in some ways yeah um, so okay. well, not so much mel- well I suppose I thought like like a cross pollinating yeah like an accompanying podcast or something ah, like that so you could perhaps right. have like a doc series and then a how it was made podcast about oh yeah that's actually a good idea vice versa can I steal that yeah. um, it's yours as long as you've got me on it mate <laughs> that's fine that's fine I think so next um I'll definitely be doing more uh, documentaries for SBS next year. Yeah. Uh, the feed's going to be on in 2020. Obviously, there's a new Audible series coming out at the top half of next year. Uh, hopefully, one of these other series I can get up as well, see how that goes. Mm. Download, uh, we're working out what we do with it. It'll probably, yeah, it'll probably exist in some form next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all of those things will be back, but I'm trying to introduce some other elements. I've been toying around with I've been toying around with maybe writing another book in the next couple of years, something completely different to film, but it's about making sure I've got the actual space to do that because writing a book is one of the harder things for me. Uh, Some people find it stunningly easy. I certainly don't. Um, So that, yeah, so there'll definitely be... I'm trying to get more... uh, It's also navigating how the TV landscape has shifted. Like... Mm. You know, I work with a bunch of 25-year-olds who really uh, don't watch free-to-air television. And luckily, the feed is overwhelmingly watched on Facebook. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a much bigger digital project than mm-hmm. it is a TV project. But mm-hmm. making sure that we're making things and delivering them to our generation in a way that our generation actually wants to consume. Totally. It's the old, if a tree falls in the woods, no one watches, no yeah. is there to hear it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the means working out what the streamers are interested in i think that's a really well i so we sort of know what they're interested in i'm just working about whether there's something you you can do useful in that is there a way you can uniquely serve them yeah 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 so i'm i'm trying to work that out and i'm sure everybody under the sun is trying to work out how they can get on mm. things like netflix and sand and whatnot so i'm sort of doing that as well yeah um right. and i don't have the answers to that i'm quite happy to admit i don't have the answers to that but i'm as i've discussed very happy to chuck shit at a wall and see what sticks yeah too right that's epic that's so cool and uh, what ticks your box and warms your cockles most at the moment creatively spiritually or mentally like the things i do or things i'm consuming things uh firstly that you do and then secondly that you consume anything that has like a small doorway into a big world is great Mm. like i feel really at home with it so like you know, It Burns was a, you know, this weird race to breathe the world's hottest chili. It opens up and it becomes about pain and suffering. Mm. This new series is about uh, is about a 
very strange hot that's a fascinating yeah right thing that just rode past us just that elon musk on a skateboard yeah, just a motorized skateboard yeah, sounds yeah. like a tesla um so it's a it's about a heist but then it becomes about um how we value what we put into our bodies how we wow. value um you know health and and um how we value water and a bunch of other things so mm. it's a small doorway into big world and and you know even when we did the hong kong documentary the only way I, we could sort of find our way in is like there's this core app that is holding this whole protest together and that was our through line the how do we get from one person to another using this app mm, so mm. i like things that have really it's finding that thread yeah finding the thread so that's a really important thing for me uh working out what working out where the next where that kind of storytelling can go is probably where i'm most happy mm. for me like if i can make that work mm. uh in terms of what i'm consuming uh at the moment Got any good series or podcasts on the go that you get inspiration from or just yeah. online? I mean, Dolly Parton's America is oh, probably yeah. is one of the best podcasts I've heard in a long Interesting. time. Interesting. So I, I know nothing of it. Give so me a quick top line. It's from the guy that does Radiolab and yeah. basically he... Oh, what? Chad Abenrod? Yeah. Oh, so my God. Anything that that man touches. Yeah. Oh, so sonically he's delicious. Using uh, the life of Dolly Parton to good. explore America. Amazing. Amazing. But, and it's got her in it, and she's brilliant. That was pretty good. Uh, BBC Sounds did a series called The Missing Crypto Queen, which I was a big fan of. Ah. This woman started a cryptocurrency that may possibly also be a cult. Um, so that's quite good. Uh, that, that, that just wrapped up. Um, I'm enjoying... I'm really enjoying Watchmen, the new yeah. HBO series, in part because I have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> and it's like, I love being a little bit confused, and Damon Lindelof is quite good at that, yeah. I think, the creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having to sit back and trust. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. going somewhere. Some, yeah. some Enjoy people, the ride. Some people might say it's foolhardy to trust Damon Lindelof, but I'm there. Sure. Um, so I'm enjoying that. And I've actually just been taking a bit of time to consume more. Like, there's a beautiful series on Amazon Prime called Undone, mm. which is a... It's, um, they've shot it for real and then they've animated it over the top of it. Mm. So, I actually, I'm, at, I'm trying to take a bit of time to consume a lot of stuff at the moment. Just, which I guess, is hard when you're creating so much, oh, right? Yeah. You've and got I'm 24 hours in the day, as does Beyonce. Like, how, yeah. how many hours do you sleep? Uh, I'll generally sleep between... Look, young one, kids as well. One hour. You no, no, no I'll, I'll sleep between... <laughs> usually either between 12 and 1 and 6. So one one to six is generally okay. what I'll do. Whoa. I don't know. Like wow. it's not. I mean, it's not as bad as it sounds. Sometimes it'll be six thirty. Some you know. Sometimes sure. it'll be twelve thirty. So you've got a bit of. But that's the generally the zone I'm in. Nice. Yeah. There you go, guys. The miracle morning does exist, and the late night. Are you, are you working past? What, uh, how well, much of that the, is productive hour when you go past ten p.m. At the moment, I'm trying to. At the moment, I'm I'm much more productive after ten p.m. Okay. Um, but I'm in bed. That you've got. A, a I tiny need, quantum of solace. I need science. I, I need. Uh, I need silence. Yeah. Basically, I'm not one of those people that can do a bunch of stuff. So I sort of need everyone to go to bed, sure. or I drive into the office and work from there. Oh um, wow! Yeah. Which I only do because uh, I like the quiet. Sure. Um, I really like quiet. Mm -hmm. um, I will also say that I, I tend to come up with a lot of creative ideas driving, mm. uh, and I drive about 90 minutes a day. So oh, I, wow. I consume a lot of music, and uh, music's really helpful for me when I'm scripting something or when I'm prepping. A story, not so much an interview, but a story. I, I use a lot of, I build a lot of playlists before I go off and shoot something. Ooh, go on then with the chi with it burns. What did yeah. you have? What were you on? Not the Chili Peppers, not so, no. Sure. I mean it. Uh, it burns. It was very clear. Like I, and actually the new one's quite clear too. So it burns was um a lot of explosions in the sky. Who did the um the soundtrack to the original Friday Night Lights movie? Oh wow! And I think you know when we Jack, who was the composer on that, I did. I sent him this big because he's in London and I haven't actually physically met him but I did send him this long email of like I was listening to um, Explosions in the Sky uh, 
a few different uh, composers and a lot of Gang of Youths was in there. Yeah, so yeah. I was fun. pulling in those sorts of things. And I think The King was, every time people read the pitch, they thought it was a comedy. Mm. They thought it was going to be really funny. And I mm. said, that stuff will be in there, but I want the music to constantly tell you this is sad. Because mm. I want that emotional complexity to be flagged really early. Yeah. Funny thing plus sad music says... There's more to this than I think. Totally. With this new series, uh, I'm listening to a lot of uh, Thomas Newman, who did the soundtrack to like American Beauty, and um, there's this one film he did uh, called Lemony Snicket's Series of Unfortunate Events. Uh They did a movie before they did the Netflix series, and the soundtrack to that is really particular. It's a lot of percussion and a lot of wide open spaces, and I think because so much of the series, this new series takes place in the Central Valley of California, which is just wide open spaces, wide open spaces, bright, sunny, wide open spaces, but it's also a mystery. So I'm thinking about how to audibly create... Convey that. Yeah, mm. like expanse, mm. but also mystery. Mm. And so I've been looking at, I've been looking at a lot of sounds that do that. Mm. And um, so if for me, and you know, I did a, I remember I did a film, I did a, I did a short documentary for The Feed a couple of years ago about uh, people, torture survivors. Mm. And I, a lot of what informed the sound of that was, I think, the Arrival soundtrack. Oh, so, yeah, that's hairs on the back yeah. of your neck kind of vibe, that. So I'm really, and it's, I find building soundtracks and playlists really helpful for any project because I, particularly working with camera people, mm. being able to give them a soundtrack, if it's something I'm producing, mm. I want to say to them, look, you're brilliant, you're creative, mm. you'll find visual ideas that I haven't thought of. So true, But this, yeah. is, this is the zone that we're in. Like, yeah. this, is, this is audibly what I'm trying to, what, what I think it'll sound like. So when you're crafting images, yeah you're picking frame rates, have this in your mind. So that gives them the space to be incredibly creative, yeah. but we're all still sort of on the same page. Yeah, we're not, we're not going- so evocative, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. one of the few things that instantly can conjure up a memory or an emotion. So as soon as you give them that palette board to go yeah. from, they're gonna be on the same page and help that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, I think, you know, there's a lot of, in media there does tend to be a lot of like mood board, Pinterest business that happens and sure. I, I'm probably I probably should be better at that stuff, mm. but I found it it's a lot easier to actually give go down the audio route. Yeah, give people audio that they can then be creative with, and they they will then. It's amazing how really good camera people will then see a bunch of stuff, and they'll they'll know how to make that shot work with that sound. Mm. Yeah, and you're not asking them to sync it up or anything like that. They'll just know visually how the like. It's also, I think, important to talk to people about themes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, is the theme of this pain or is the theme of this loss or, you know, because then they will find, you know, a shot with a butcher bird in the corner of frame and they'll fill it with negative space mm. and they'll know that that's, a, that's something Loneliness. that they can use. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it helps inform a lot of how visual storytelling works if you can bring people on board with... You know, it's that ancient saying, like, people don't remember what you said to them, they remember how they made you feel. It's yeah. that kind of thing. It's yeah. like... If they understand what feeling they're going for, they can do, they can do a lot better job, and you can make your editing job a lot easier. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I do a lot of that. That's amazing. So that, like, obviously Tarantino, famously incredibly mm. soundtrack movies, and you asked him in your interview with him, when do you know when a creative piece of work is done? Yeah. What about you? Like, when did you know when oh, it burns was done? Cause there's I so many mean, threads, isn't there? Like, it's I like this. I could redo it burns from scratch because yeah. like, now I've heard it and it's done yeah. and we, you know, it's, I, all I can hear is what's wrong with it. Yeah. Now all I can, and then there are plenty of things. Be like, um, Al Rickman, you you do listen to it? Or you no, do, no, you I don't. Listen I, to anything I stopped. I made a point to stop listening to it when it came out. Yeah. Um, we've had to do a few like award submissions and things like that and I've had to dip back in and it's actually quite hard to listen to now because totally. all I can hear is yeah. the things I would do differently. 
which is good. I think it's good to know that. Um, exactly, like constant, never-ending improvement, right? It's what totally. part of makes us tick. But at the same time, it can be tortuous when you create a, a, a yeah. piece of work that is now in the public domain, and you. Yeah, it's. It, I think because it was also the first time I did something of that nature, I'm probably like quite sensitive to all the things that are shit about it. Mm. Um, but and also it has a lot of me in it like a lot of mm. the other stuff i do i do doesn't actually have that much me in it totally yeah it's, but it's very personal story sharing your you know your relationship with food and stuff yeah. like that like it's a very personal journey yeah and you've also got like there's 7000 reviews of it yeah like literally i checked today 4.3 stars out of 5 mate that is an incredible yeah, incredible so feat the and the american the american audience hold back. yeah it's quite some people like some people really love it and yeah. some people really hate it. And, yeah. that, and that's been good in a way because I sort of read it and go... Do you read the reviews? I check in every couple of days to see what's being said. Okay. And just, I mean, because I'm, I'm curious more than anything. And yeah, I, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, do, you, do you go straight to the, the negatives? Because inherently humans, we hold on to negatives a lot <laughs> yeah, more so readily than we do positives. So you should hold 20 seconds on the positives and then two seconds on the negative. That's very you? clever. I've never heard that before. I like that. Yeah, you've got to be conscious to hold positives in your mind because we're... Like evolutionary speaking, we always want to avoid negatives, so you you hang on to those a lot longer. That's really good. I'm yeah. gonna steal that. That's really good. Do uh, it. Do it. I'm teaching Mark Fennell how to have thick skin. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. What I actually do is I, I I just look at them in terms of I reorganize them in terms of most recent. Oh, and nice. uh, honestly, like the criticisms of it, like it is you know it is mm. running at 4.3 out of five, so it's not it's been pretty well received. Incredibly and, well. Incredibly uh, so well. I think if it hadn't been very well received, I'd probably have a slightly different philosophy about it. Mm. But because it's been quite well received and there's a few awards and things like that, I read the criticisms and I actually am stunned by how accurate and much I agree with them. Mm. You know, like the criticisms of it, I'm like, yeah. That that was a that was a long bow, and I think you know all that sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah. I I I'm not. But that's the nature of having bloody, you know, fourteen thousand ears listening to something that yeah. someone with two, you know, or a team of ten have made. You know, yeah. Obviously, that's how. Yeah, it's just bonkers. You're gonna have a million more views on it if you have a million more people listening on it. And definitely. Oh yeah, you did pick up this tiny minutia that I might have missed over the course of a year of doing it because it was just me. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we have sub editors and all the rest of it. So, exactly. Yeah. I think I think it's good I think it's good I, I actually do think it is good to read criticism of yourself. Mm. Um I think how you how you internalize yeah, it. Yeah, how you totally. internalize it it's is the meaning it, you give it, right? If you approach it with a positive lens of I'm gonna learn from this, take what's useful from this demigration and yeah. then build on that and then one thing I would say about audible audience reviews is um it's it's not it's they're very astute like they're not it's not vicious it's not mm. twitter you know mm. what i mean like it's not abusive twitter mm. stuff it's really um is that the paywall that's kept people out i, I guess so i mean I, I mean yeah it must be but like the people's reviews of it like if you've taken the time to sit down and write a review of that mm. you've given it some consideration and the that's fact it. that there's literally seven thousand reviews is it's it, that and that's just the US alone like that is incredible unheard of I, I listen to I voraciously listen to podcasts and I've never seen something do that many numbers especially the fact that it came out a couple of months ago or something. yeah it's crazy yeah so I think but the the stuff that they're writing is actually very um I won't say constructive mm. but it's very um insightful like mm. it's not like it's not just a like random selling abuse they're really engaged with the product and mm. so I think that's that makes it okay to read um you know the 
I don't get a lot of hate on the internet these days because I don't do because basically because I don't do opinion. Sure. Like it, when I used to do, offer opinions up sure. on things, I used to get all kinds of abuse. I just sort of stopped having opinions in public a few years ago. Mm, well, that's my, what Farouz says. He famously tries to not have an opinion almost, or, yeah. or at least to subvert with the people's common expectation. opinion. So just to give yeah, you know, plays that devil's advocate or just hold a mirror up to people's own opinions. I yeah, think that's so true. I've often tried to be like. Well, you know, I don't know enough. Like people being a Brit, people are always like, "Oh, Brexit, eh? Brexit. Mm, oh, mm. should we have stayed? Should we have gone?" And I'm like, to be honest, like I don't know anywhere near enough to have a have true, an opinion. Yeah, to yeah. have a true opinion on that. The only yeah, it's like it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, certainly I do, I do have opinions about things. I just don't tend to put them on the internet. There's yeah. more than anything. It's yeah, fair. Only because like you put anything out on the internet and you then Trolls have to come on. That's, yeah. yeah, I I just remember like once the I think. <laughs> Once I had a picture of me holding a coffee cup. Yeah. And then I just, there was like hours of people saying, why yeah. isn't it a keep cup? I'm oh like, my fuck God. me. Like, oh, I get that. I understand it. But sure. at the same time, I... Chill out. But yes. There chill are out. bigger battles in the world to be having than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you could mount the argument that there aren't. But I just, I also think it, it's just, it just reminded me, it's like, you actually can't do anything. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like a whingy old man being like, no, you no, can't no, say anything on the internet anymore. No, it's no. more just like... Eggshells are everywhere. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's like, yeah. sensitive. Yeah. I just sort of went, oh, I just don't need that. And, and also, like, it sucks a bunch of... If some, if you put something controversial on the internet, you sort of need to be there mm. to moderate it and manage it for hours afterwards. And who the fuck has the time and energy totally, for that? Totally. I'd rather be out there making something, talking to somebody, yeah. crafting something that I can be proud of than mm. waste my time fucking around managing dickheads on the internet yeah and there's not enough time of the day there yeah, isn't right. and I just don't have and I, I have friends obviously that do it and I who are very strident in their opinions and I'm just like more power to you do because I don't have the time or energy for it mm. you know between four jobs two kids fuck like no just, yeah. just do other things yeah real talk yeah life's for living yes not for moderating and occasionally for podcasting <laughs> and occasionally for podcasting yeah oh Mark like, I'm very conscious of the time you've been incredibly generous with it you're probably off to your next appointment what's uh, up for the rest of the day for you I've got to take a, I've got to take a suit to the office Ooh. and then I've got to go to a meeting at the ABC so very nice indeed yes oh, and then I'm going to go to Disney's Disney Plus launch because oh, I actually oh. want to see if it's any good we're about oh okay fine. yeah oh, it's fine. in the city somewhere so Exciting. I very rarely go to those events but I'm like yeah I'm feel I've got two small children I'm gonna end up paying for this thing for a fucking million years I might as well go see what the launch oh, is God, like yeah yeah, yeah 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 I'm gonna go steal their free I was canapes say, yeah free subscription question mark yeah, yeah. yeah I'll settle for canapes I really will <laughs> top man oh brilliant well thank you so so much for your time Mark and uh, look forward to seeing everything that you create in the future thank you thanks for having me not at all all right then guys thank you so much for listening hope there was oh, I know there were many things in there for you and I'll catch you in the next one ta-ra. 